You are listening to the Just Chill Parenting Podcast. I am your host, Rosie Davidson, an infant sleep consultant, author and mum of three. This is a show all about honest chat where I talk about my favourite topic, sleep, of course, but I will also be covering your burning parenting questions and speak to some very special guests along the way. So buckle up and enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Just Chill Parenting Podcast. This episode, I'm joined by a very special guest. We are going to deep dive into a really tricky and often frustrating parenting topic, fussy eating. How do we get the little blighters to eat? This week, I'm joined by Emma Shufkut, a paediatric dietitian who graduated with a first class honours degree in dietetics and nutrition. Throughout her career, Emma has worked within the NHS, special needs schools and private practice. Her personal journey with her daughter, who battled severe reflux and multiple food allergies, including milk and egg allergies and fussy eating, has fueled Emma's passion for helping families navigate similar challenges. Welcome, Emma. Thanks for having me today. Emma, thank you so much for coming on the pod. For those of you who may not know, we have an online fussy eating course, which we created with Emma and her expert knowledge. I put up a post yesterday on my Instagram, anyone who doesn't follow, it's at just underscore chill underscore mama, about what we shouldn't say to our children when they're eating meals. (laughs) And I just wanted to talk about this briefly before we delve into the other topics, because there was a real strong reaction to this post. What did you think about it? Yeah, no, I thought it was a good post. It's just that sometimes I think for parents, they carry a lot of guilt around food and they feel a lot of frustration and they blame themselves a lot. So I think sometimes when we point out things that as a parent, we think are things that are helping our child, like praising them, for example. But actually what happens is it actually makes parents feel even worse and they're doing something even wrong. So I think that's probably why you've got more of a strong reaction than necessarily you're expecting to get. Yeah. If I'm honest, I knew it was going to get a strong reaction. And sometimes I think on social media, those posts can be great because it can get conversation going. (laughs) Um, But hopefully this podcast is really going to help anyone listening who is struggling with a fussy eater. So first of all, tell me a bit about your own story with your daughter and her fussy eating. I think my daughter's fussy eating stems from the fact that obviously she had really bad reflux and a cow's milk allergy. So her whole journey with food and everything to do with eating was quite stressful and painful. And I see a lot of parents in clinic who have a similar kind of experience. And the reason that their child's often become a fussy eater is because they've often had reflux or they've had allergies or something else has been going on that's meant that their relationship with food hasn't necessarily been a positive one. So my child absolutely hated weaning. Like she Aww. didn't want to put anything in her mouth at all. I did spoon feed her and she obviously did have food, but she had no interest in putting anything in her mouth. So I do think our journey sort of started from there. She, yeah, really struggled with eating. She's a million times better now. She's quite happy to try foods and she's come a long, long way. But I would never say she's going to be a big foodie and want to eat lots and lots of different foods. And how old is she now? She's seven now. I think seven can still be a tricky age, can't it anyway? My seven-year-old will often say, I don't like that, I don't want that, all of these kind of normal things that we get. 
definitely. It's still a tricky age, but I think every age of parenting is quite tricky. You always think it's going to get easier. It's just a different <laughs> stage, isn't it? Yeah, like we think, oh, we're through that stage now. Oh, there's the next challenge on the horizon. So the parents on my Instagram page have sent in lots of questions for you. And I think that people will really resonate with some of the problems and the questions that are coming. So let's get started. How do you cope with constant snacking? I think a lot of people struggle with this. Kids perhaps asking for snacks and then maybe getting into a cycle of keep giving them snacks. Yes, I think the most important thing is to try and set some kind of schedule. So it's very important to have sort of breakfast around about a rough set time, having your snacks sort of mid-morning, lunchtime, mid-afternoon snack and evening. And if you can set some kind of schedule, that can really help with that constant need for snacking. Because again, what's really important and what they need to learn is about their hunger cues and their fullness cues as well. And I think sometimes when children snack all the time, they don't necessarily know when they're hungry and when they're full. So a schedule can be a really good place to start. So do you think it's about holding boundaries there? If they're asking for another snack, is it just a case of saying no, do you think, if it's not the right time? Yeah, I do think it's about holding boundaries, definitely. And again, the problem is that if they have snacks all day long, what we actually find is that they end up being sort of often deficient in certain nutrients because... Sometimes they're snacking, but then they're not getting some of the key nutrients like iron and zinc and things like that at a main meal as well. And because their tummies are really small as well, even if they just have a little bit before a meal, it means that they lose their appetite and then they're less likely. They actually end up eating less as well. That can be really hard. We have that problem. So after school, the kids are always ravenous and especially my middle child. And I think this is partly because sometimes she's not eating everything at lunch So she has school dinners most days and most days they do like the food. Actually, it's pretty good. It's pretty good menu. Sometimes she'll come home and say, I just had one of the things like just had mashed potato or just had this. So she's really hungry. I'll try and provide a nutritious snack because it's generally half three by the time we get in and we don't have dinner till about half five, six. So I think, okay, we can have a nutritious kind of snack, but then she'll ask for more. So again, it can be, so you want it to be balanced. So you want to have some kind of protein, some carbohydrate, some kind of fat and fruit and vegetables. So again, they could have additional fruit. They could have additional vegetable snacks as well. And you can make the snack a little bit bigger as well. If again, they haven't eaten very much at lunchtime, it's fine to make that snack bigger. I think what you don't want to do is have it that they're having that snack sort of like half an hour before they're about to eat dinner. Yeah, exactly. So if she came to me at five o'clock and we're kind of trying to finish off cooking and about to serve, it's not the time to give some cheese and crackers. No, but you can cut up vegetables then. So I find that works really well, like cutting up carrots or something like that and giving those because then they eat their vegetables often before they have their meals. So that can work quite well. That's a really good idea. And weirdly, my middle daughter is obsessed with cucumber. So that's a really good one. Cucumber and peppers, they generally all like those. So that's a really good tip. I'll think about that. We do have some of those child friendly knives, you know, like the plastic kind of cutter knives. So that's a really good plan. We're going to do that. Thank you. (laughs) Another (laughs) one that lots of people struggle with and we've had moments with this actually with my son, is how to get your toddler to sit at the table. This can be a hard one. And I think sometimes parents' expectations of toddlers is that they can sit for a long time. So you're realistically looking at five to 10 minutes for a little toddler to sit still. 
because for parents, we think of meals as being sociable. We enjoy sitting at a meal. We enjoy chatting. But for a child, they'd much rather be playing. One thing that can work is sometimes like things like using egg timers or something where you just get them to sit for a minute and then you do another minute and you do it like that and slowly sort of build up. But again, be realistic in terms of how long they will actually be able to sit at that table for. Yeah, I think it can be quite difficult. We have social expectations, don't we? Especially if we were with family. So for example, if we had a Sunday roast with my in-laws or a group of friends who maybe don't have children or my family, and you sit down and you really want to catch up with them and you think, oh, you know, this is a really nice opportunity to all be together as a family. You sit down, one of the kids says, don't like that. And the other kid says, I don't want to sit down. I want to go and play with this. It's really hard, isn't it? Really hard. And I think in that situation, it's okay if they just come to the table, have a little bit, get down and then come back again. Because again, if you, you know, sometimes you want to enjoy your meals and if you've got friends and families over, it's unrealistic to expect a child to sit there for half an hour and find it a social and enjoyable experience. Yeah, it can be tricky. I think if you're out and about in restaurants, you have to stay there because of the social expectation that you've planned this meal and you're catching up and stuff. In those instances, I'll always try and take something with us, whether that's colouring or sometimes an iPad, I have to say. I feel like personally, if it's once in a while, I don't mind them having a bit of screen time. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I agree. I think once in a while, you don't want to do it for every meal. Because again, it can affect their hunger and fullness cues. So they're not monitoring how full they feel. But once in a while, we've all done it. It's absolutely fine. And like you said, games, colouring and anything else, any other activities that are interesting for them can help as well when you're eating out. So this has come up, this question from a parent. And I can really resonate with this because I've heard people say this. So the question is how to deal with people who think if they are hungry enough, they will just eat, i.e. just leave them until they're really hungry. And if they don't want to eat it, they don't eat it. But then they will eventually eat it if you wait long enough until they're hungry. No, it's a really, really bad and a really old fashioned approach as well. So it was very much like, you know, during our grandparents time during the war when food was scarce and that sort of thing, you know, you have to eat everything off your plate. But nowadays, we're not in that situation. And all you're doing is really pressurizing your child to eat. And if someone was to turn it onto you as an adult and said, right, you're going to sit there until you've eaten all that food, you might be feeling unwell. You might be feeling like you don't feel that hungry today. You know, anything could be happening in your life. You could be stressed. You could be worried about something. So forcing a child to eat because you think that's what they should do. It's just really the wrong approach. Yeah. And I always think if it's something that's unfamiliar you've not tried it before even me as an adult and I'm very open-minded and I love food if it was something I didn't know what it was and it seemed a bit like oh I don't really fancy that and somebody said to me you're not having anything else you're going to sit there until you eat that can you imagine how horrible that would be it is really horrible and I had that at school with pasta I didn't eat pasta till I was 19 years old because I was so traumatized from school and having to eat the bows that were always hard in the middle oh. and they used to force you and sit there to eat it so I can fully understand how people feel about them I'll tell you something I still don't like those pasta bows I don't I don't like that kind of pasta really <laughs> no nor do I still not today no I still won't eat them next question is it too young to deal with fussy eating at 15 months 
I don't think it's necessarily too young, a sense, because all children develop differently. Normally, what we call the neophobic stage, which is that fear of new foods, tends to kick in a little bit later. But again, at 15 months, remember that the first year of life, they grow really, really quickly. And they actually have less energy requirements after 12 months. So it is normal for a child to want to eat a bit less than maybe they did when they were weaning up until 12 months as well. So do always think about that as well. That's really interesting. I remember seeing a really big difference suddenly with my son in his portion sizes. So it felt like when he was nine, 10 months, he was eating a huge amount. And I was thinking, gosh, you eat more than your older sisters who were twice your size. And then all of a sudden, you're right, that very much happened. And we would have times, we had a few weeks in December, actually, where he was really fussy and not really eating very much. You start to really worry. I just thought I would just stick to stick to what I know and what I've learned from Emma. (laughs) And we've got back there. But you can start worrying that they're, they're just not eating enough for their size. When actual fact, I think most of the time they're all right. Yeah, and most most children are quite intuitive eaters. They tend to eat what they need as well. Obviously, though, if you are worried and their weight starts to drop or they stop, start to drop centiles, that's when you, you need to worry about their weight. But if you're keeping an eye on their weight and they're not losing lots of weight, then normally they'll pick up again. Yeah. If people are listening in the UK, if they want to get their child weighed, the best place is the health visitor, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, the health visitor. But when they're older, you can buy scales as well and just weigh them on normal bathroom scales as well. Oh, yeah, as long as you're using the same scales, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Oh, that's re- yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't even thought of that. So if somebody was struggling with a 15-month-old, I'm guessing maybe they might have been struggling before. So like with you and your experience with your daughter, presumably you were kind of struggling from day one. Yeah, we were struggling from day one is yeah, the best way I'd describe it. Yeah, we were. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, obviously she's seven now. I can't remember exactly what 15 months were, but she wasn't eating much. She did actually get a bit better when she went to nursery as well. Like she did start putting things in her mouth up until then. She really didn't. So I did find nursery was a really positive experience for us because she was around lots of other children. And maybe I was less worried as well. I think sometimes as parents, because we're so worried about them. And because my little girl's so tiny, she's on like the second centile. I think I worried a lot about her weight. And I had a lot of health professionals on at me about her weight. Yeah. Once she was in a nursery setting, probably she was a bit more relaxed as well. And I do think sometimes that can help. And like any of us, I like eating with my friends and my family at a table. And obviously, I know at home she would have been eating with family, but there's something nice about eating with your peers as well, I think. Yeah, and they copy each other as well. So they learn a lot from each other as well. Yeah. And I think that's almost sometimes better than learning it from mum and dad as well, who are watching them and maybe applying pressure. Whereas at nursery, it's just their little friends. They're like, oh, okay, maybe I can try that as well. This is really interesting because it leads into the next question, which was twins eat everything at nursery, but mummy's cooking isn't up to scratch, apparently. (laughs) That's really common as well. Like it's really, really common. One, often they're coming home from nursery, so they're really tired. So often at the end of the day, children don't tend to eat much. Or if they do, it tends to be easy, soft, kind of beige food that they want to eat as well. So don't worry. It's not your cooking. It's nothing you've done wrong. It is totally normal for them to do that. And also sometimes they've missed you as well. And again, 
they're at home with you. They know that they can test their boundaries as well. And they can be like, oh, mum won't make me eat this. I won't have to eat this. You know, they can play a lot more on, on you as well. So yeah, try not to worry about that. It's totally, totally normal. And it will get better again. So if your child is refusing their meal, should you offer alternatives? No. So if you have provided uh, preferred food or food that you know that they will eat and they don't want any of it, it could be that they're unwell. There could be something else going on as well. So again, we never want to force a child to eat. I wouldn't do an alternative there and then. But what I would do is at the next eating opportunity. So if, for example, it's dinner and it's just before bedtime, you could offer a nutritious, like a mini kind of meal snack as well for them. So yeah, just go to the next eating opportunity. But don't get yourself into a situation where you're making, oh, well, I'll make you something else or I'll make you pasta or I'll make you toast or because then you become what we call a short cook and you're just making lots of meals. And then your children also know that, oh, I can just say no to this they'll make me something else and then they'll make me something else. So try not to try and look at it as the next eating opportunity they can they can have another meal. And what about if it was a meal where maybe there isn't a familiar food and it's like a brand new meal? Maybe if you're out somewhere or if you're with somebody else and maybe they've cooked, for example, a cottage pie, which is like a whole meal and there might not be anything familiar. Maybe there's peas in it that they can see and they refuse it, should you still just wait for the next feeding opportunity? So if you're in that situation and there isn't a preferred food that they, you know that they like, then that's that's different. And again, if you were eating out, you could, and you knew your child's particularly fussy, then you could bring some kind of food along with you. And I've had this with friends where, um, yeah, their child hasn't liked pizza or they haven't liked cheese or they haven't liked certain things where I have, you know, put some toast on or do something. So that's kind of like a different situation. But if it's a meal that you know your child likes, then I wouldn't start cooking lots of extra food. Yeah. And in that case, I guess what you would probably do is pre-plan it or notice very quickly and serve something else alongside it. So it's not like they say, no, I don't want this. And you get up and go and cook something else reactively. You've already yeah. planned it and you think, okay, we'll serve some toast or something else alongside it. So it feels like they're having the same meal, even though it's a different thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's the right approach completely. Somebody else has asked, is it okay to go with food you know they'll eat rather than being adventurous? Yeah, that's absolutely fine. I think it's good to expose your children to new foods as well. But sometimes I think it's about picking the right time as well with your child. So I think sometimes when we're exposing our child to new food at the end of the day, when they're tired, we're not necessarily going to get them to eat or try a new food. So I'm always up for trying new foods, sometimes away from meal times as well. And sometimes at the best time of day for your child. So if your child really likes breakfast and mornings are much better, that might be the time when you want to try some new foods with them. Yeah, we went through a stage again with my middle child. I'd say she's probably been the most challenging so far. We went through a stage where she was refusing lots of breakfast foods, which I think is probably more unusual. I think most children are hungry in the mornings, but who knows? You, you'll know more on that. We went through a stage where she was refusing a lot of breakfast foods. So what I did was the evening before we made some overnight oats 
and she was mixing stuff in herself and she was choosing it. So I was like, you can choose strawberries or raspberries. You can pour some seeds in. You can spoon some nut butter in and she and then she mixed it all up and she really enjoyed doing the mixing part. And then miraculously, the next morning she ate it and albeit she didn't eat loads, but I feel like it was quite nutrient and calorie dense. So I was so pleased. I was like, oh my God, we've broken the cycle of you not eating breakfast. Yeah, you're right. It's more uncommon, but my little girl absolutely hates breakfast. So like she's much better at the end of the day, which is really unusual because most children do tend to eat better at breakfast time because obviously they haven't eaten overnight and they're more awake. But again, every child's different. And I think it's just working with where your child is as well. And like you said, that was brilliant. You know, you getting her involved in making that breakfast and her being part of it and her knowing what was going into it gave her some kind of control over it and she could help you. And that, that's a brilliant approach. I sometimes make things like energy balls as well. So again, you know, with just oats and things like that, really quick, easy to eat, can grab, just eat on the go, you know, those sort of things that are easy for my little girl for breakfast as well. Yeah, and I think those things can be quite affordable as well. So if you buy a big pack of oats, I like getting frozen fruit because it's a bit cheaper and it lasts longer rather than having raspberries that go off the next day or that day. (laughs) Um, And also one thing I love is desiccated coconut. So they kind of play with it as well a little bit because it feels nice just to hold it and stuff. So yeah, those things I think can be really helpful in getting your child involved in touching and smelling and looking at things without the pressure to eat it as well. The more you can do that with your child, the better as well. So this one, we've been through a phase of this, how to deal with throwing food. This can be very, very common. And most children will often do this. Again, sometimes it's developmental stage as well, especially in um, young children when they're dropping food and they want to see what happens when it's dropped as well. One thing you can do is try not to react too much because I think sometimes the more we react and the more we go, stop doing that, stop throwing food, the more children can think it's a bit of a game and they're sort of thriving off the attention they're getting. So if you can try and not give too much attention to it. Some people I know have also used like a bowl, sort of like a no thank you bowl where you just put, if you don't want it, you put the food in the bowl as well. That can sometimes work quite well. Yeah, then the no thank you bowl worked really well for us with my son. So I would just say to him, if you don't want it, put it in the bowl. And actually, weirdly, he would sometimes go back to the bowl afterwards, but it kind of helped us break that cycle. Although sometimes I noticed that when he was doing it more, it was where he was more tired. And it was his way of communicating, actually, I'm finished and I don't want this. But I don't necessarily have the words to express that in this moment. Yeah, it's very true. They can often do it because they they don't want any more. And like you said, they can't communicate. So they can't say to you, no, I'm finished, I'm full. So yeah, it can be another way of showing that they're done and they don't want to eat anymore. Yeah, and they just lob the whole plate across the room. (laughs) We've had that. Yeah, it can be really difficult. Trying to tune into them, I think, can help and think about, you know, have they had a really busy day? Are they really tired? Are they just done? And we just need to accept it, that they're not going to eat anymore at that mealtime. The next one, this I think is quite common. Why will my toddler not eat meat? So again, meat's a really difficult texture. 
if you think of meat, it's quite chewy. It's quite hard to eat as well. So it is really, really common to see children that don't eat meat. One thing you can do is try and make it softer. So trying to do things like if you have a slow cooker or a pressure cooker and just like letting the meat get really, really soft, adding sauces to the meat can sometimes help as well. But it is really, really common. And if you think of meat, you know, you've really got to chew it as well for quite a while to sort of eat it as well. So really, really common in in children. Yeah, weirdly, my son is the opposite. So he'll always eat the meat. And we have a problem with this. So we've served up I mean, he's very lucky. He doesn't know how lucky he is. We've served up steak and we cut it up into strips. If there's steak on the table, on anyone else's plate as well, he will eat all his steak and he'll ask for our steak and will then refuse to eat the other food on his plate or the table until it's all gone. It's just crazy. Yeah, he's definitely getting enough iron. That's the main thing. This one I thought was a really interesting question. Tips for introducing a food if the parent themselves doesn't like it. That's an interesting one. I think that's a hard one. I think obviously if you're weaning and you need to introduce all the allergens and obviously you have to try all the, you know, different allergens if it's a if it's a food the parent doesn't like. Personally, if it's a food that I really don't like, I'm not necessarily going to be serving it at home. So I'm not sure I'd put myself through the stress of cooking a meal that I wasn't going to eat or someone in my family wasn't going to eat. There's hundreds of thousands of foods out there that you can try. So I certainly wouldn't worry about putting lots of pressure on unless it's some kind of food, you know, that like, for example, jacket potato or something where, you know, at school, if they don't like the food option, jacket potatoes would be a really good option. But if it's something obscure or something you never cook, then personally, I probably wouldn't worry too much. Yeah. And there's going to come a point where they're at school or nursery and they might try these things outside of your home anyway. So you don't have to get involved with that specific ingredient. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And like you said, nursery or school or um, those sort of things. Yeah, they get loads of exposure to different foods as well. Yeah. My one food, which I cannot stand, is kidney beans. The texture of kidney beans, and I feel like they give me a tummy ache. Maybe that's psychosomatic. I don't know. But I would never cook them. I've never cooked them. So I don't think, I don't think my kids have ever even tried them, but, you know, I'm not going to worry about it. <laughs> no, I wouldn't worry about something like that. There's so many other food options out there. And it might be because it's a fermentable carbohydrate. It could affect your gut as well. It can affect some people, kidney beans. Yeah, that's really interesting. So I... Going off on a tangent here, I had them, I was out somewhere and I realised I had kidney beans in it quite quickly because I don't like the taste, but I had eaten some and I kind of forced myself a little bit because I was being polite. And later that day, honestly, I felt like I had a sickness bug. It's horrible. Again, if it's a fermentable carbohydrate that reacts, it would, would cause you pain and discomfort as well. That's so interesting. So somebody has asked advice for Afrid. Do you want to explain what Afrid is and where somebody might get advice for it? So Afrid is um, avoidance restrictive food intake disorder. It's basically an eating disorder. It was first classified in 2013. If you were worried about your child having Afrid, um, it has to be diagnosed by a paediatrician to start with. I work with quite a few ARFID children. They, you do normally need an MDT approach, so a multidisciplinary team that's involved. So you'd have a dietitian, a speech and language therapist, an OT, 
a psychologist and a pediatrician as well in an ideal world. But I think if you are worried and you think your child might have ARFID, there is a brilliant charity called ARFID Awareness and go and have a look on their site. Um, I can send you the link, Rosie, and you can link to it if people sure. want to yeah, have a look at it. Sure, yeah, we can link to that um, And that will give you lots of resources. What would be the signs of if somebody was worried? Very, very restrictive eater. So in terms of they tend to have a real fear of food, like not just your typical kind of fussy eating or problem eater, like they're actually really scared of food. It's kind of the best way I would describe it. They um, tend to have very restrictive diets, so sort of less than five foods. The children I see with Arthur, they tend to eat like crisps or chips or maybe chicken nuggets, and that will be all the food that they will eat. They often rely on supplements as well to maintain their weight and to get the nutrients they need. And often they can end up being tube fed as well. So I do see quite a few that are tube fed. Gosh, that must be so hard for parents. I just hope anyone out there who's struggling with a really restrictive diet and a child with those kind of behaviours can reach out and get some support. This episode is brought to you by Just Chill Baby Sleep, their number one infant sleep consultancy in the UK and beyond. We really love sleep and we want you to have all the information that you need about sleep at your fingertips. Our award-winning self-led online courses can banish those bad nights and leave you feeling calm and in control and most of all, well rested. For more information about our online courses and one-to-one support, please go to justchillbabysleep.co.uk. Listeners can also use the code JCPP for 10% off any online course or bundle. So sleep well. So let's move on. Another question. I'm about to wean my baby. How to encourage them not to be fussy? I think that's a really, really hard one. Because again, often children, apart from mine maybe, will wean quite well. And they only really hit the fussy eating stage around that kind of 18 months when they you know their growth starts to slow i mean one thing you can do is obviously expose them to lots of food lots of different textures as well sometimes i see parents that have only had their children on pureed food for way way too long and again if they're not exposed to textures sometimes that can cause issues with fussy eating when they're a bit older as well so again exposure to lots of food have lots of fun with weaning you know do some finger food you can do some spoon feeding as well just basically have some fun with food and expose there's some amazing charts now that you can get as well you can do the 100 food challenges and things like that that I've seen that I didn't see when I was weaning my little girl expose them to as many foods as you can and lots of different textures and have fun with it yeah when mine were babies they always wanted to eat what was on my plate as well sharing your meal can really help and actually my children now are the same so if we were out I don't know a cafe or something and I ordered something different even though it might be something unfamiliar or something that they hadn't chosen they'll often want to try something from my plate and that's really normal as well because that's to do with um that they know that the food's safe and I know it sounds really weird but that's that whole neophobic stage and it goes back to our ancestors basically and obviously children when they could start to be mobile could pick up poisonous foods 
basically they're eating off your plate because they know that that food is safe and nothing awful's happened to mummy. So that's that's why they'll often eat off your plate. And is it right? I heard that when we eat with other people, we eat more generally. Is there evidence behind that? Do you know? I don't know whether it's about us necessarily eating more, but I think we're more relaxed. So we're happier. And when we're in a relaxed state, we're more likely to eat. So when we're stressed or worried about anything, our body doesn't want to focus on digestion. It wants to you know, save us from running away from any kind of danger. So yeah, I do think when we're more relaxed and with family and stuff and friends, yeah, we can often eat more as well, just because we're in a happier, more relaxed state as well. So this question, I think is a really good one to maybe have as a last closing kind of question. My toddler is refusing to eat anything on the plate help. So how would we approach this? hopefully there is at least some kind of preferred food or something that they like to eat that you can put on that plate so even if it's just a beige carbohydrate like pasta or something that was where I would start sometimes I say to my clients as well is sometimes just take the pressure off so step back maybe give it a couple of weeks where you just serve them their preferred food you don't try putting in lots of different foods exposing them to lots of different foods and you just focus on making mealtimes happy again So maybe you play some music, everyone eats together and you just try and make it relaxed and fun because I think sometimes we can spend so long worrying, stressing, putting all our anxiety onto our children about them not eating that it makes it a lot worse. So sometimes just taking that step back can be enough to just get them eating again, get them having their preferred food before you start again with trying new foods. Earlier on, we touched on helping them prepare foods and things. And I remember talking to you about kind of playing with food and preparing food, maybe even outside of a mealtime so they can just experience it without the pressure of eating it. And I honestly think that's such a good strategy to just familiarize them with completely different things without any pressure at all. Yeah, I completely agree. And there's actually um, a theory as well that there's 32 steps to eating as well, and that you have to go through all the different steps to eating. And the first steps are literally just being around food. And it's not until about step 27 or something, you actually put the food into your mouth. So it's so important that we interact with food and they have fun with food. And again, like you said, away from mealtimes as well can sometimes be are really good and any kind of games that you can play as well I think worked really really well for my little girl. So what would you say to a parent who was really worried about it and trying everything and maybe they just want some reassurance what would you say to them? So first of all I would if I was really worried was I'd definitely check get your child weighed and just make sure that they're tracking their growth centiles. Sometimes when parents really worry and then they're like, oh, the child, their child's really skinny or they're really worried they're losing weight, that puts a lot more pressure on you. But if you know your child's tracking their centiles, sometimes that can take a little bit of the worry as well. And I think it's just like focus on taking away that pressure at meal times. I know it's really hard and sometimes you just have to walk away for five seconds, take a deep breath and be like, okay, right, let's do this again. And just, you know, just try and take that pressure away at the mealtimes. But like the more you can play games with your child, have fun with food and messy play and enjoy food, get them involved in cooking. Like you were saying with the knives, you know, buying those kind of plastic knives. My little girl loves cutting up things with the knives and being involved. And they love often helping you as well in the kitchen. So anything you can get them involved can really help. Oh, thank you so much. 
and thank you so much for joining me. Can you tell people where they can find you if they wanted some extra support from you? Yeah, sure. You can find me on Instagram at dietitian.withadifference or you can check out my website at dietitianwithadifference.co.uk. Oh, thank you so much. And also, for anyone who's interested, we have our online fussy eating course, which was created with Emma and her expert advice. So if you're interested in that, head over to our website and you can find more information and support via the course. I hope you've really enjoyed this episode. Please remember to review, rate and subscribe to the podcast. It means the world to have you listening. I'll be back soon with more parenting problems, rants and sleep information soon. So sleep well and enjoy. Enjoy.